Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. How about this? The New York Giants fired Joe Judge. The Giants fired Joe Judge. Now, those are words that I never thought that I would say. Never mind that this dude was walking around, acting, and talking like he was Bill Parcells, when in reality, he's not even Ray Hanley. Yet, for some reason, Giants ownership could not praise this guy enough or love him any more than they did. And for reasons only known to them, because even on the outside looking in, the rest of the world could see this guy for what he really was. Totally unprepared. Mm -hmm. Totally unprepared, talking out his ass, in over his head, and a joke, and an embarrassment. Literally everything this guy touched turned to crap. Yet, as other more successful and more qualified coaches were getting broken off left and right, Joe Judge was safe. I mean, safe. Hell, pretty much untouchable, unfireable. Why else do you think that after another embarrassing season, when the rest of the world mocked him and the organization, the ownership tells him, hey, listen, Joe, you're good, you're fine, we're going to bring you back. However, there has to be some changes made. And apparently, Judge waits for them to finish and then reportedly says something along the lines of, you done? You done? Good. Now, here's what I need. Here's what you're going to do for me. You're going to involve me in hiring the next GM. You're going to involve me in hiring my next boss. Except he's not going to be my boss. I'm going to be his boss. You know, Judge is like a fourth grader. You're not the boss of me. I'm the boss of you. All of you. Like I said yesterday, I don't know if this guy is the most out-of-touch dude ever. Or if he just has got the biggest brass set ever, or both. But every single time this guy opened up his mouth, something more asinine came flying out than the time before. It was incredible, because no matter how much he sucked, ownership had his back. And the more he sucked, the louder he got. Second-year coaches who suck generally are seen and not heard. Generally, they are smart enough to answer questions at press conferences and be nice to everybody they meet and spend most of their day in the dark room trying to get better. Not this tool. He was more than happy to be a jackass in press conferences, lecture reporters, and go on 11-minute profanity-laced rants where he bashed other teams, told lies, I mean, Unbelievable stories about former players calling him and current players begging him and fans having access to his team email address. And yet, despite all of that, this guy was still closer to getting an extension than he was to being fired. Again. I mean, this guy was so arrogant that he was trying to insert himself into the GM search when anybody else in his position would just be happy that they were only searching for a GM and not a head coach. But now the team is searching for both. John Mara released a statement yesterday that read in part, and I quote, 
We met with Joe yesterday afternoon to discuss the state of the team. I met again with Joe this afternoon, and it was during that conversation I informed Joe of our decision. We appreciate Joe's efforts on behalf of the organization, end of quote. You appreciate his efforts. What efforts do you appreciate? The effort where he installed that basketball hoop so his guys can play basketball in the winter to learn how to catch a football or whatever the hell he was talking about? Or that time that he had the DBs tape tennis balls to their hands so they could cut down on penalties? Or that time he took the names off the players' practice jerseys in his first camp because, quote, it's important to know who the players are on the field across from you by their body type and how they move. End of quote. Like, this dude is the gimmickiest head coach in the history of football. Now, if you're Bill Belichick and you pull that crap, you're a genius because you're Bill Belichick. But this goofball was not Bill Belichick. He wasn't even Steven Belichick. He's Joe bleeping judge. And frankly, he sucked. You ever notice Belichick is a genius, but never ever says anything at all publicly? Never. Nothing. Like Joe Judge didn't come off like a smart guy. He came off like a dumb guy whose idea of being a smart guy was that he wanted everybody to know that he was the smartest guy in the room, except he wasn't. And the absolute best part, and the proof of just how ignorant this guy is, is the fact that Joe Judge literally, literally coached and talked himself out of his job. Literally, the job was his. He had the best job security in the NFL. He kept on getting blown out, and ownership kept backing him. He was stacking blowout losses. They weren't just losing. They were getting hammered. They weren't even competitive, and yet ownership still backed him. Ownership still loved him. I mean, this guy had so much support, he had the audacity to try to play a role in hiring his boss. Yet somehow, some way, when it was pretty clear they were going to bring him back, over the last week and a half, this dude somehow talked and coached his way into getting fired. Literally, there was that 11-minute rant chock full of expletives and lies. And then, of course, there was this. At the half. Interesting formation. I, I mean, really, you're at the four-yard line, and, and you you don't feel comfortable enough in your offense to be able to run a traditional play. I mean, I, I get the first one when you put yourself kind of backed up inside the one-yard line. I mean, this is sad. I mean, that that is just a, a complete lack of confidence in faith of your offense to be able to execute coming off your end line. That Hilarious. I mean, absolutely hilarious. And if you want proof that Giants ownership still did not want to fire this guy, nobody went down and ripped his badge and his headset after he did that a second time. They let him coach the rest of the game. Then they met with him on Monday. Then again on Tuesday. The fact that they didn't fire him on Sunday or Monday tells you he really did talk his way out of that job. Because he simply could not shut his mouth. Because the Giants did not want to fire this guy. They really didn't. They were going to bring him back. They had somehow convinced themselves that this tool was the next Bill Belichick or the next Nick Saban. They didn't want to fire him. And they didn't want to continue their run of coaches who get canned after two years or less. 
They were fighting like crazy to keep Joe Judge, but he would not let them. He pissed it all away over the last week and a half by coming off as totally unstable, off the rails, and just frankly miserable to be around. I mean, that's part of this too, right? No, I'm not there. I'm not there. But is there anybody or anything about this guy that seemed like he had an ability to motivate or inspire anything that he said or did that made anybody want to work for him or run through a wall for him or be around him. I mean, I guess maybe, maybe, but every time I saw this guy talking, only one word came to mind, insufferable, like the most annoying guy to be around. Yet, despite this, he was going to get another year and honestly, probably get an extension at some point. All he had to do was stop running his mouth, but he couldn't. He couldn't help himself, and he got himself fired. Now, just because the Giants finally came to their senses does not mean they deserve any credit or any praise. Better late than never, I guess, but really, it should have never taken this long. And just firing this guy is not going to get rid of that stink anytime soon. You know, you can't just open up all the windows, open up all the doors, and then hit it with some Lysol. Man, you're not going to get that out of that room anytime soon. The Giants are now going to be looking for their fourth full-time head coach in the last five years. The New York Giants. You know who the worst team in the NFL has been over the last five years? The New York Giants. You know who's looking up at the Jaguars and the Texans over the last five years? The New York Giants. And each of their last three head coaches have lasted two years or less. Like, don't get me wrong. Joe Judge was a problem. But the other problem is that somebody thought that Joe Judge was a good idea. Just like somebody thought that Pat Shermer was a good idea. Just like somebody thought that Ben McAdoo was a good idea. Just like somebody thought that Garrett Ritt was a good idea. Just kidding, old man. Had to slide you in there. (laughs) This... This is the team of Bill Parcells and Tom Coughlin. And that's been led by a series of clowns. And yes, you can say that I hated this from the beginning. Because I did. And I was right. And all you Giants fans who pushed back so hard on me, like I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I mean, it really was idiotic from the beginning. He was coming after being the Patriots wide receivers coach. A group that Tom Brady was always pissed about. And don't think for a second that I've forgotten about all you people who said, yeah, yeah, but he's also the special teams coordinator. And John Harbaugh was a special teams coordinator before he became the Ravens head coach. Don't think for a second that I forgot all of you who came at me for that. If that was you. And if you were saying that Joe Judge was going to get John Harbaugh results, John and I will take your apologies right now. That was a horrible take then, and you look even dumber now. John Harbaugh is a Super Bowl-winning head coach who cranks out double-digit win seasons. Joe Judge cranks out double-digit loss seasons and excuses like that's his job. If Joe Judge ever dreamed that he was John Harbaugh, he ought to wake up and apologize to him and to me. Joe Judge was not Coach Harbaugh. He was Coach Hardo. 
the ultimate try-hard guy, desperate to tell everybody how smart and how tough he was when all anybody ever wanted from him was silence. Like, I was right. I accept your apology. You're welcome. And if I, right, a radio-slash-TV knucklehead, could tell that this is how this was going to be, from 3,000 miles away, maybe I should be involved in the next coaching search. You couldn't do any worse. You already have. Comparing John Harbaugh to Joe Judge is as ridiculous as, I don't know, comparing Patrick Mahomes to Chad Henney. Yeah, they're both Chiefs quarterbacks. Kind of ridiculous. Right? Maybe Joe Judge thought that Mike Glennon was behind center when he called that quarterback sneak. This is for you, clones. Maybe he thought it was Glennon behind center when he called that quarterback sneak. His neck alone would have gotten that nine yards for the first down. You like that, clones? In fact, when Mike Glennon throws a Hail Mary, they just run a quarterback sneak. You see what I did... Right there for you clones. Actually, I take that back. Unless Glennon can hold the ball with his ears, this is impossible. That was a stretch. And now a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that is useful, you know, like cashback match. Discover matches all the cash back that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. He is Chris Beard. My man, Chris, what's going on? How are you? Jim, what's up, man? Good to hear from you. You too, dude. Talk to me. It's been a minute or two since you and I last spoke. In fact, not since you got that job. How are you doing? How is your life right now? What is life like in Austin? All good. Uh, this first year has been really fun. We've got a good group of guys. Um, I think we got one of those teams, uh, like a few other teams in college basketball, where if everything kind of goes right, we hit at the right time, we could be a real factor in March. Um, but it's been great being back in my alma mater, and uh, I, think, I think we got a good team. Chris Beard joining us. All right, Chris, let's talk about some of the things that are happening right now. You're coming off a 14-point win over Oklahoma last night. That was the biggest margin of victory for Texas in that series for more than a decade. What did you make of the way your players showed up last night, especially on the defensive end, and maybe even more specifically, getting out and defending the three? Yeah, the Texas OU, you know, uh, games are always great. It's a great rivalry. Um, basketball is no different. So, uh, really, it was one of the best games we played this year. We got a lot of respect for Oklahoma. Porter's a longtime friend of mine. He's in his first year there, just like we are here. Uh, but the guys were dialed in last night. We uh, we guarded at a high level. Um, we were a little disappointed in our last game out. Um, so, I think our guys were motivated to play their best, and, and that's what we did. Talking to Chris Beard, you know, when you arrived, the roster was effectively a blank page, right? And then you spoke to Brock Cunningham, and he committed to returning. I remember back when you were at Texas Tech, and you gave him love during a game and said, quote, if Brock has a twin brother or a cousin that's looking for a place to play, 806 
742-7600 is the office number. And to quote, we're talking about a guy who averaged two rebounds and less than two points per game last year. So how do you explain his impact on the program and what's it been like to work with the real Brock Cunningham instead of a brother or a cousin? Yeah, Brock's the best. We had great respect coaching against him. And then we're just enjoying every day having a chance to coach him. He's a tough guy. You know, I think in our society, in our game, you know, the word tough is kind of overused. Uh, but with Brock, I mean, it's real. Like he's, you know, like he's one of those guys, he, you know, if he, if he drops a French fry, he doesn't have like the five second rule. He has the five minute rule. You know, he'll pick it up out of the parking lot and eat it. And, and no worries. He's, uh, he loves physicality. He, um, you know, try, trying to under, trying to teach Brock kind of how to understand like when the other team's in the bonus or not. Um, and certainly when we have fouls to give, we let Brock be Brock. Um, he's a great guy. Like, you know, when we got here, uh, we obviously had no players. So you got to kind of re-recruit the guys that are here. And Brock's the first guy we, we reached out to, I think, just because the list was in alphabetical order. But um, his phone immediately went to, like, unavailable. And so couldn't get a hold of him for about two days. Then I found out that he was actually on a one-man road trip. Uh, he got in his car with a backpack and a cooler or something and kind of took off. I think he got all the way into, like, Wyoming or Montana or somewhere. So I always liked the guy. But when I heard that our player was on a one-day road trip without a cell phone, it made me even like him more. Um, so I, I love that guy. Dude, you are the absolute best. Chris Beard joining us. And then again, what says toughness like a dude who's got a five-minute or a five-hour French fry rule? In fact, in talking about him, you've said, quote, I've always had respect for players that play the game with a no regret, no backup plan kind of approach. Brock was always that guy. Yeah, I don't know, Chris. I've known you a long time. It strikes me that you're kind of that guy as well, that no regret, no backup plan guy. So how much of yourself do you see in him maybe? Uh, A lot. Yeah, I never heard it phrased like that, but I think we're both really competitive. Um, I think we're both guys that, that know what we want. We're willing to do what it takes to get it. Uh, but I also think we're both, you know, guys that got some humility and are great teammates. And, um, you know, Brock's a guy, uh, he's going to do what you ask him to do. Um, some nights he gets called on a little bit more than others. Uh, but going down the stretch here, we got high expectations for him. He's also like a really unique guy, Jim, with this whole, like, you know, extra year with COVID, these super seniors and stuff. Like I, I can't even tell, like, what these guys are. But this is crazy to think about it. But, like, Brock Cunningham has, like, three years left after this one. Like, he will literally be like Rodney Dangerfield one day. He'll be like 36, 36, you know, um, playing his senior year at Texas. So um, p- people look at me like I'm crazy, but he's like, he literally, I think he's like a COVID red shirt special sophomore right now, if, I, if I'm right. Dude, you were so funny. Like Rodney Dangerfield, I don't know, Chris, if you remember the first time you saw that movie, Back to School, right? I The Triple Lindy, I don't know why, but I remember <laughs> watching that for the first time and I laughed my ass off. Like I thought that was the funniest thing ever. Like when they had that thing in slow, super slow mo, and they had those, those those jump edits, and he's going from diving board to diving board. How funny was that? The best, man. And you know, coaching college sports, like you know, from time to time, you you get a chance to walk across campus, or you go to some event in the student union or something, and you kind of catch yourself thinking, like, God, dude, if I could just have like, you know, two more days, or just one day being a student, um, and Roddy Dangerfield, that's that's what he pulled off. So. I kind of vicariously lived through him every time I watch that movie. 
Chris Beard joining us. It's so true. I can remember one time also, and I was I was mentioning this earlier, Chris, when I was when you and I met, but even prior to that, like when I first got my start in TV, I interviewed him once, and I I just couldn't believe it. Like he was the biggest thing in the world, and I couldn't wait to talk to him. And then he came in the studio, and I don't mean this in any disrespect at all, because the guy was such a legend and such a genius. But he was like the way he really was in those movies. Like he was out of sorts. And he's, he was saying things to me like, what are we talking about? What are we doing? What are we doing? I'm like, Rodney, whatever the hell you want, man, your world, your life. I can't even believe you and I are in the same space. And it just was so weird and so different because he was acting like that guy. You know a lot of people. Have you ever met somebody that you really wanted to meet and then it kind of went weirdly or sideways? Is there anybody that sticks out like that? You know, I think uh, I think the great ones are real, if that makes sense. Yes. You know, I, I know. Um, always had a lot of respect for Coach Mike Leach, and um, you know when I had a chance to meet him, he's as kind of unique in person as he is. You know when you watch the interviews and stuff, so that's one that comes to mind. But um, yeah, no doubt about it. There's uh, characters in our game, um, and the real ones are kind of kind of what you think they would be. I guess is the best way to say it. We're talking to Chris Beard. We're just talking about a lot of different stuff here. Now, when you talk about going back to school and maybe being a student, back in November, you played a home game in Gregory Gym, which is an old school gym that the program has not played in since the late 70s. Before that game, you actually arranged a party at the Tower, and then you led the students over to the gym. How did the idea first come to be, and then what was it like to see that whole thing play out? Yeah, it was kind of a spur-of-the-moment idea. I was uh... – the first couple of days at school at Texas, they have this thing like back to Texas. It's actually really cool. It's uh, right there by the tower in the middle of the campus, and all the students come out. It has like kind of like a graduation feel, but it's like the first day of school. And they asked me to get up there and speak, and, you know, I, I'm a no-note guy. You know, I, it's not like a – it's kind of spur of the moment. So um, I actually got up there. I was thinking Ted Lasso, so I had everybody kind of hug each other. Then I remembered the COVID was going on, so I got reprimanded for that. But – just standing out there, I looked over the over the campus. And I saw these students, and I just thought, man. So I just, you know, kind of popped off like, hey, if we sell out our first home basketball game here in a couple of weeks, uh, we'll, we'll have a party at the tower. Um, luckily to me, the administration here has been great, and our athletic director and president supported the idea. So, yeah, we did an old school party, and uh, you know, I I never heard of this word before, but the darty. And uh, Brock Cunningham was actually the one that told me about it. I said, Brock, what's a darty? Like coach, man, it's a party during the day. But man, I like that. I like that. So we uh, we had a darty, and um, you know we, we we knocked out two birds with one one stone. We we had the darty before that throwback game, and then after the darty, we all walked over to the gym together and, and uh, played a home game. So. That was a cool, cool idea. That's a great idea. Texas head basketball coach Chris Beard joining us. And in that game, one fan in particular went legend. I'm talking about that dude in the Hawaiian shirt. You brought him in for a film session with the team. What was that like? And then what did it mean to have that kind of support from the students? Yeah, it's awesome. You know, we're trying to build a fan base here. There's no group more important than the student section. So, um, you know, every night after the games, we're watching the games as a staff. We've got the different camera angles, and we're always watching our bench. We call them culture clips. Um, when our when our when our guys act the right way on the bench, when they enjoy each other's success, we're always looking for funny moments that happen within the game. And the camera angle had uh, this this student that was in the Hawaiian shirt right behind the basket. And the guy was legendary. Like every time we shot, he shot and held his follow through. He had a couple of obscene gestures to the officials that we had to get cleaned up a little bit, but. Uh, his heart was in the right place. The guy had energy, and he had juice, man. He did it from warm-ups all the way to the school song. 
So we found him, you know, social media, you can find anybody these days. We found him. We invited him over to practice. Uh, we let him talk to the team. Uh, the best thing was he, he wore the Hawaiian shirt the next day, too. So I respect that, too. You know, kind of like Brock picking up the French fry. I mean, you know, you're in college, man. Who doesn't wear the same shirt three, four days in a row? No problem. So I respected that. Yeah, I, I respected that you guys went and found this guy. What about the players? Did they love him? How did they react to him when they saw him? You know, the guys were starting to kind of understand who we are. and You expect the unexpected. So some of the <laughs> veterans, literally every time we do something, they're like, man, what is Coach doing now? <laughs> right. Um, and then the other guys are like, oh, here we go again. So uh, it was great. We called him Hawaiian shirt guy. Um, I think his social life picked up a little bit because of us. Uh, you know, he's good. And then a couple of games later, you know, we bring the students on the floor after the games to take take pictures and stuff. So, um, you know, and they sell beer at the games now at all these arenas. So the other night, Hawaiian shirt guy kind of bumped into me after the game. I said, hey, what's up, man? I look at him. He's sitting there holding like two uh, 16-ounce Coors Lights. He's like double fisting. And I was like, man, life's good for a Hawaiian shirt guy. And he goes, yeah, thanks for everything, Coach. Oh, that is so good. Hey, Chris, do you even know what a Hawaiian shirt guy's name is? Not that it matters. I do not. No. Nope. Uh, Let's keep it that way. Uh, maybe maybe I should. I, no. I, um, no. I, I know I'll what the, that way. the Iowa State guys are, but not Hawaiian shirt. There you go. Speaking of which, before you go, so you're tied for first in the Big 12. And as always, it is a gnarly conference. You've got number 15, uh, Iowa State, on Saturday after they nearly beat Kansas in Lawrence last night. What are you telling your guys as you get ready for that game? How do they look to you on tape? Yeah, 18-round fight in our league. It really is sick. Uh, everybody kind of talks about it. It's not coaching talk. It's not fluff. It's It really is, man. It's 10 teams that are literally all top 25 teams. Uh and it's just a, it's a bloodbath. So this next one uh, to me is always like, you know, why you play and coach at this level. Iowa State, one of the all-time great fan bases in college basketball. TJ, new coach, doing a great job. Um, you know, it's, this league's tough, man. It's the strong survive. Like Iowa State, uh, a couple of days ago, you know, they're a basket away from being a top-five team. Now I think they find themselves one and three in the league. They're literally three three possessions away from being undefeated in our league. So. Um, you just got to give yourself a chance every night, um, and that's what what we intend to do this weekend. But they're really good. They're they're a team that could look up. They could be in a final four, no doubt about it. Mm, speaking of which, one last thought. I understand that it's only January twelfth, Chris, but you made the point. Quote: When we win, we all eat. End of quote. And you're really clear that winning is not just about having a nice regular season. Quote: I'm talking about trying to get on a ladder with a pair of scissors and ultimately the final four. End of quote. It is early January, mid-January, I get this. Are you starting to get a sense that this team's got that kind of upside and potential? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't shy away from that. We, you know, we're one of those teams. I think there's you know, probably a handful of teams each year that are kind of the favorites that everybody can visualize. Certainly last year that was Gonzaga and Baylor. Then I think there's that next group you know, where, uh, where they're going to be a part of the fight, and I think we're in it. You know, it's easy to talk about. It's really hard to do. But I think if we continue to get better and uh, we continue to kind of peak at the right time, uh, absolutely. I think we could be a big factor in March. That's the plan. 13-3, and three, 21 in the AP poll. Big, big game coming up Saturday. They're at Iowa State. It was number 15. Chris Beard is the head basketball coach at Texas. I love it. My man, appreciate you. In fact, I love you, Chris Beard. Great to have you on the show. Love. Thank you very much, man. Great talking to you. You're the best, honestly. Love you too, brother. See you later. So does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for all the good stuff. 
Well, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without all that hassle I'm talking about. And it's a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again. And the very best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. Let's get at it. Hey, Jim, I've got a beef. My beef is with my wife. Every time we decide to do dinner without the kids, she calls it date night. It's date night. We have been married for 11 freaking years. We are not dating anymore. Even more annoying is having to listen all week as she arranges to have kids watched her telling everybody that we are going on a date night. Steven in Sacktown wore me playing along with the date night theme so it ends in a wrestling match. There you go. Dear Jim, I've got a major beef with people who steal my pens. You know, when you're at an event with a group of people and suddenly everybody has to write something down and you are one of the few people who actually have a pen and some knucklehead next to you asks to borrow your pen for a minute and then they mistakenly put the pen back in their pocket and walk away. Hey, idiot, why don't you go to the 99 cent store, buy your own freaking pen and stop stealing mine, which I do happen to need. Stewart in Vegas. Hey, Jimothy. I got a beef with mouth breathers, specifically mouth breathers on Zoom video meetings. I can't focus on the meeting content because I'm transfixed to this mouth breathing bimbo who is staring off into space with her eyes glazed over and her mouth agape. It makes you look 10 times dumber than you probably are. Close your damn mouth. Dan's got some Zoom fatigue, I think. I don't blame you, bro. Let's see. At Birdman Rico. Jimmy, my beef, imbeciles that stand in line at Starbucks or Subway, etc. And although they're staring at that 10 by 5 foot menu board for 10 minutes, they still don't know what they want when it's their turn. And they can't figure out the credit card machine. Pathetic. The man, this guy's harsh. Check this guy. The man, wit, a tan that rocks turtlenecks while murdering burgers. My beef is wit, that clown, Sean McVay. Dude went into the end zone to celebrate with his team after going up 17 in the second quarter, only to get punked by Shanahan and lose in the end. McVay is officially Shanahan's bitch. Stop celebrating the first half like an idiot on the field with your team, D-bag. Mario and SF, that is some serious Frisco heat right there. This says, I love this one. My beef is with the ball-busting women who command their Prince Harry to hoist them up onto their shoulders at rock concerts so they can see better while completely ignoring the schmuck standing behind them who can now only see a large ass and the quivering shoulders of a whipped, obedient boyfriend. 
Hey, Megan, Mick Jagger can't see you. Get the F down and stand like the rest of the adults. Dennis in San Luis Obispo, my man D. Atta boy. Love that one. Hey, Jim, I've got a beef with my dog when I take him to a nice patio restaurant and he starts busting ass. And and everybody starts looking at me like I'm doing it. No, I have to either let everybody think it's me or look, I have to look like a D-bag who blames his stench on his dog. Mike and La Quinta. Mike, do you got to bring the dog? Do you have to? I mean, I don't know the answer. I don't think you do. You might as well just bust ass yourself. It'd be less offensive, right? Look at this guy. My beef is with people who pull in their garage and shut the garage door before getting out of the car. What are you trying to prove? It's a bizarre behavior that even exceeds grown men ordering boneless wings. Kind of weird, Mark. But it is your beef, and I did say any beef works. Hey, Jim, my beef is with silent, cutting-ass guy on a plane. It's bad enough we have to wear underwear-style masks that fog up your glasses and inhibit your breathing. For the love of God, I really need to try and be better about that. Reno in Irvine. I hate that about airplanes. It's like there's no accountability for people who cut ass. I hate it. It's disgusting. Seriously, I almost hit the call button on the uh, waitress the other day. Like, can you, can you do something about this? Th- there is no accountability 40,000 feet up. It's freaking disgusting. It's disgusting, Jim. It is disgusting. Hi, Jim. You know what my beef is? My beef is with slobs on a plane that take their snacks out of the packaging and put them directly on the tray table. Forget a pandemic. Doing that at any time is cereal ass. Cereal ass? Bella B in Calgary. Romy, I've got beef with the self-checkout. Anytime I try to inconspicuously buy rubbers, the damn thing malfunctions, and then I have to request a cashier to come over and scan my raincoats for me. Shamefully yours, Alvy. Dude, dude, no, no, no. Plus, he's in there like every three days. It's going to happen. Let's see. There's Brad in 360, the cycling degenerate. I'll skip him. Don't really care what your beef is, dude. Hey, Rome, my beef is the 21-year-old barista having a personal conversation with customers after they took 10 minutes to order while the nine of us wait in line. Holy crap. Does this generation know the term social awareness? Pick up the bleeping pace. Haley in San Francisco. Thing is, I I love my baristas. And my Starbucks in the morning, man, they're good. All gals, no guys there for some reason, but all good gals. I like their attitude. At 5 o'clock in the morning, they're upbeat. They're happy. I like them. My beef is with the woman training her yippy tiny white puppy in the courtyard of my apartment building every day. If I have to watch her attempt to bend over to hand that shrieking purse dog another treat, conditioning it with a reward for barking as it constantly yaps over the jungle, I'll be running downstairs to kick it Justin Tucker style. 
G in the OC. Hmm. Rome, mm. my beef is with my coworker. I don't care about your cheating boyfriend. Maybe get out of the dating pool for a while and go solo. You cry, baby. Sammy in H-Town. Rip City AK, AK. I have a beef with the idiot taking his dog to a restaurant. It's a dog. It should not be going out unless it's to the bathroom. I love beefs that are in response to beefs. At Golf Jeans, quote, Jim, my beef is with guys who wear jeans when golfing. Hello, this is not an Applebee's. Take your denim legs and your hack golf game back to the mall. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef very seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Who wants dried, tough beef in a bag? Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? I like it. Let's go to the phones. 1-800-636-8686. My man has been waiting 90 minutes. Let's do it. Bob in L.A. My man. What's going on, Bob? Hey, Jim. You know, you go to the movies and you see that big sign, share the experience. Well, how about share the pain when you walk up to the refreshment stand and you get a medium popcorn for $8.79? Ah, the minute I heard that, I thought of your show. That's ridiculous. The movie only costs nine fifty, but Jim, I'm not calling for me. I'm calling for that poor guy who was standing behind me with four kids in tow. Can you imagine the balloon payment they're going to hit that poor clone with by the time those kids point at everything they want off of that crappy stand? So my message to the clones are: stay home. Screw Hollywood, watch television, and streaming is the new rule. I'm finally out, Jim. Bye. Well, he did wait 90 minutes. Is this some kind of revelation, Bob? They make their money off the concessions, not the movie tickets. I learned that in a college class back when I was in college, like in the 30s. I mean, of course. Of course. Why do you think they're so militant when you try to walk in your own candy? Why do you think they want to fight you? The kid with the zits wants to fight you when you try to walk in with a cup of coffee. That's how they make their money. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Utah. Gordon in Utah. Gordon, what is your beef? Now, these damn referees, my wife and I scream at them at the games. They keep calling fouls on our kids, huh? And uh, I've chased a referee before, and I've tackled them back in the 70s. But I, I just can't get them to stop, huh? What can I do? Well, my man, for one thing, you should stop chasing referees who probably make $7 an hour because somebody's got to ref the kids' games. What can I do except that they're imperfect and somebody's got to be a referee and do the job and not get paid that much? 
He's like, back in the 70s, I chased a referee and I tackled him. Well, dude, if you did that in the 70s, who are you there for now? Your great-great-grandkids? Gordon, come on, man. Lighten up, dude. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Long Beach. Tony in the LBC. Tony, what's your beef? What's up, Rome? How you doing? Good, dude. You? Pretty good. So this is my beef. Check it out. So I work at a medical field, and a lot of times I have to call these insurance companies. And all these all the time, these insurance companies always, always ask me for my callback number. Well, it happens to be a lot of times when I call them, my call gets dropped, and they never call me back. What's the point of asking for my callback number if you never call me back? That's my beef. I'm out. Because they don't want to talk to you, Tony. That's why. <laughs> Just like I don't want to either because it took you that long to get to your point. Really quickly, let's go to Buffalo. Margo, Margo, what's your beef? Hello. Hello. Hey, radio man. Let's go Beefalo. And my beef goes back to New England and the, and the Buffalo game on December 6th. The next day you called it Bill's house. As in the hood, no matter the outcome, this Saturday, it will always be the home of... Ah! Hey, Margo. No. Goodbye. Like I tried to get you in there, Margo. Not Come on. Now we're done. Never bet alone ever again. You can join in on the action by downloading WinBet today and become a part of the newest sports betting app on the market. That's right, WinBet. The luxury hoteliers are now in the digital betting space, and they're offering that same five-star service that you're used to from Win Resorts, all in the form of a sports book and digital casino app. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from football, basketball, baseball, hockey, golf, tennis, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, we have exactly what you need to win. Are you ready to play? Sign up right now. Receive a special offer. Risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download. Bet. Win. Download the WinBet app right now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. He is Eric Wood. Eric, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing great, brother. How you doing? Good, dude. Good. So good to have you, Eric. So it is an enormous week. You and I have a lot of ground to cover. It's game week. Why don't we start right here? We're a few days away from the Pats and the Bills Saturday night in Buffalo. I had Jordan Poyer on the show on Monday. We were talking, Eric, about what he's expecting from the fans on Saturday. What are you expecting to see and hear from the Bills Mafia in this game? Oh, it's going to be a ton of fun. I mean, we heard last year they were only allowed 6,500 fans in the game. And Baltimore and Indy both talked about how loud that atmosphere was last year. Now talk about 73,000 Bills fans in the stadium this week in Highmark Stadium. I mean, it's going to be wild. I was down on the field pregame last week. It's freezing. There's a wintry mix. Guys have their shirts off. I mean, they absolutely love it. It's a great time in Orchard Park right now. Yeah, and Eric, it's going to be under the lights. It's going to be cold, and I know those fans, they're going to be fueled up, and they probably have already started. So, Eric, what was the biggest difference in your mind between that Week 13 loss to the Patriots and the Week 16 win at New England? 
Well, when you when you look back at, at the weather conditions and the Bills' offense being based upon the fact that they throw the football primarily, it took that out of the game. And the Bills in that game went one for four in the red zone. They had a turnover, and that was just enough for the Patriots to get it done in Orchard Park. Flip the script, and they go to New England just a few weeks later, and they're able to execute out there. Josh Allen had a great game in the game. And when he was able to throw the ball against the Patriots, he goes for 314 yards, three touchdowns. He also ran the ball for 64 yards. So Josh was excellent in New England. And when you play the Patriots and you let them get a lead and lean on that run game and play action, then Mac Jones is a very good quarterback. When you have forced him to come from behind this year, that's when you see the problems. And that's why you see them one and three in their last four games because they're not playing with the lead and they've been terrible in the first quarter in those games. Eric Wood joining us. That's what it comes down to to me. Like you want to make Mac Jones beat you. You want to make him make some plays. And obviously they'd rather run the ball and spin the clock and keep Josh Allen off the field. You know, one of the things, Eric, that I'm struck by and I've always been struck by is the fact that Josh Allen's teammates don't just like him. They absolutely love this guy. They will go to battle for this guy. I'm curious, what do you remember about the first time you met Allen? So I met Josh Allen at the Masters prior to the 2018 draft. My career had just ended. I was down there hanging with Ryan Fitzpatrick, some of the CAA crew that Josh Allen and Fitz were both a part of. And I remember texting Brandon Bean. And my career had ended, but me and Brandon Bean, the general manager for the Bills, still close friends to this day. And I said, hey, I haven't watched the tape. I haven't broke down this quarterback draft class like you have. But I will be really bitter if Josh Allen comes to Buffalo because that is a guy that I would have liked to mentor to kind of bring up in this league. And that's why I was resigned before the 2017 season was because they were likely going to take a top quarterback in the next draft. And I was going to be that kind of veteran presence for him. And he's just a great person. He's an ultra competitor. That competitiveness has gotten him in trouble at times. But the guys get over it because when they pl- when he plays his, you know, people call it his hero ball and he makes a mistake, you take that because he makes plays like he did in the first quarter against the Jets last week when he has a defender dragging all over him and he still is able to complete a ball on the sideline to Stephon Diggs. And I'll just throw this story in there real quick because sure. my son's birthday was yesterday. A year ago, I'm now the radio analyst for the Bills, and me and Josh are close. We, we, you know, we work with the same um, kids in, hosp- in the hospital up in Buffalo. But I texted Josh a week ago. He's preparing for a playoff game, and I said, look, no worries at all, no pressure, but if you could send a video to my son wishing him happy birthday, it would mean the world to him. I mean, he's just absolutely obsessed with Josh. Josh not only sends a video, he, he shoots me a text real quick right afterwards. He said, wait, wait, don't show him that one. I can do better. Hmm. And so he sends another video. He's 23 years old at the time. I wish I was that mature and that cordial when I was 23 years old. But he does stuff like that consistently, and that's why the guys love him. But ultimately, you know in this league, if you don't win games and you don't produce, then guys aren't going to love playing with you because guys want to win football games, and Josh has done that as well in his time in Buffalo. I love that response. What a great story. Eric Wood is joining us. So, Eric, when you look at the Bills right now and you look at the rest of the AFC and you look at the way the Bills are playing right now, how do you like their chances of reaching the Super Bowl? You know, I'll say this, you know, based upon the Bills catching the three seed, they're likely going to have to go on the road twice. You like, if you win this game, you're likely at Kansas City, and then you're likely at Tennessee if it all falls as it may. I think that second week of the playoffs could be the toughest matchup for them. Now, they've already gone to Kansas City and won this year, and that was a 38-20 game that the Bills won. But the Chiefs are playing much better football, especially on the defensive side of the ball now. They have a tough road. 
But I like this team and the experience they have in the playoffs, making it to the AFC Championship game a year ago. They return virtually everybody, and they seem to be peaking at the right time right now. They've won their last four games, and maybe their best half of football that they played all year was that second half of the Tampa Bay game, which was their last loss five games ago. I like this team. I love this coaching staff, and I like their chances uh, of getting to L.A. and competing for the Super Bowl. And for a lot of the year, the Bills were the odds-on betting favorite. Now you hit that little lull midway through the season, and a lot's changed since then. But I like the direction that they're heading right now. We're talking Eric Wood. Eric, what about that? What has changed since then? How did they get that thing turned around? Well, I'll say this. They've committed to running the football. And when you do that in in Buffalo, you're going to play cold games down the stretch. And what they've done running the football, they're sixth in the league this year in yards per carry. And that has kept the defense honest. And a lot of that has been Devin Singletary. He's emerged as running back one in Buffalo. And as they've given him a majority of the carries, as opposed to earlier in the year, it was running back by committee. He's been extremely effective, and I think that's helped the offense tremendously. And then on the defensive side of the football, they've been a lot better at stopping the run and rushing the passer. For a lot of the year, they had the number one pass defense in the league without a pass rush. Well, over these last four games, the Bills have been getting after the quarterback. They have 19 sacks over their last four games. And so that is an area that has really helped this defense. And I'll tell you what, their two defensive tackles, Ed Oliver and Harrison Phillips, have really emerged as big-time players in this second half of the season especially, and that has really taken that defense to the next level. We are talking to Eric Wood. Eric, I want to ask you in a moment about some of the things you're doing away from the team, but I do want to ask you about one guy. Like, you've played with so many fascinating teammates. Previously, I could ask you about any number of guys, but earlier in your career, you did play with Marshawn Lynch, and the two of you were tight. Marshawn, obviously, for a lot of people, is one of the most interesting guys ever to step on a football field. What was he like to play with and block for? I loved him. I honestly did. I loved him from the day uh, I met him. I remember we were at an OTAs practice, so the spring before my rookie year, and I accidentally, because you're not supposed to put people on the ground, I accidentally put down Marcus Stroud. I'm sure his feet got tied up or something, and I put him down. Marshawn Lynch comes running off the sideline. He's cracking up laughing. He's making fun of Stroud, puts his arm around him. He said, you're my guy. And literally, since that day in 2009, We've been buddies, and honestly, he's a guy that is just as real as it gets, and you appreciate people that are as real as he is. And I got to catch up with him in uh, Buffalo earlier this year. I mean, he's, he's still a trip to this day. He is, too. Eric Wood is joining us. Now, Eric, you and I have spoken since you retired, and you've made the transition from playing to broadcasting look relatively easy. I know it's not, but you've made it look relatively easy. Here's my question. As a competitor, there's a juice and an energy that comes from working on your craft and trying to improve every single day and then working and working and then trying to execute on game day. Is it a feeling that you've been able to replicate since your playing career ended and how have you approached it? Yeah, I mean, we're wired the same way, Jim. We're, we're going to get up and attack each day. And that becomes unclear when your career ends and you're no longer attacking trying to be the best center in the NFL. And so for me, I had to find things that I was passionate about. I started a podcast and got in on this journey of talking to people that have successfully transitioned in life. And I got to learn from so many people. And now I like to pass those lessons along. And I've done some, you know, you mentioned it before, some performance coaching. So working with college guys and just really trying to pour into them and let them know, here's what I wish I knew when I was in your shoes. Let me pass along some of these lessons to you. But uh, I mean, I always go back to this quote by Tony Robbins, true fulfillment in life 
comes by constantly getting better each day, constantly growing. And look, I'm no robot. We text about tequila more than tequila and horse racing more than we do anything else. So I am not a robot. It's those 1% daily improvements. And heck, sometimes it's like this morning, I take both my kids to school separately, and I'm trying to get 1% better in my relationship with them. So I'm, I'm always on people. Just get 1% better each day and over a year, you'll be amazed at what you can accomplish. It's like compounding interest. Eric Wood is joining us, but yes, we do. You and I do text about tequila and horse racing, two things we love. Your podcast, What's Next with Eric Wood, is what we're talking about here. It's something, Eric, you and I, because we think about similar things and we talk to similar people and we try and develop our own kind of approach, You something that comes up quite a bit in, in the people you and I talk to, the importance of a morning routine. Do you have one? In fact, I know you do. What is yours and why is that so valuable? Yeah, so for me, I like to get up in the morning before my wife and kids so I can get some quiet time and get some things accomplished and try and knock out some of my most important tasks of the day. So for me, it involves going to the kitchen. I'm going to start off with some hydration, uh, drink a ton of water, make myself a coffee, go to my office, and start to dig in a little bit. For me, that's getting in my Bible first thing in the morning. I like to read some type of personal development in the morning, a gratitude practice. And then that gives me kind of the fuel and the perspective to start my day the right way and started with a feeling of accomplishment. Most day, that is a workout as well. But if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. I'll get in at another time. And I was fascinated when you came on my podcast and talked about your morning routine because you said, hey, I head straight into the office because I'm trying to get my work done. And Craig Ballantyne, the most disciplined man in the world, he came on my podcast and he would agree that your morning routine is probably maybe even more effective than someone like mine kind of focusing on more, you know, spiritual and, uh, you know, health and wellness because you're knocking out super important tasks first thing in the morning. See, I don't know. That's that's really interesting because, and I've never met him, but I know of him and I respect him very much. I would say that I would prefer your routine. It seems to me if I could get up early in the morning and knock out a workout and get that meditation and get that thought, maybe journal a little bit. Honestly, I would prefer that. It's just that my job is not really set up like that. Now, somebody might say, well, yes, it is. Just get up earlier. But I already get up at 4.30, so I'd have to get up at 3, on and on and on. Like this kind of a, a, a promotion and a commercial for your podcast and my other podcast, The Reinvention Project, but I want them to know the types of things that you and I are doing away from what we're doing. Like when you talk about getting into your Bible or your, med- your meditation, how long is that? Is that 15 minutes? Is that an hour? How much time do you spend on that? I mean, ideally, I'm knocking all that out in 20 to 30 minutes because it, like you, you know, my day's got to start early because the kids are going to school or I'm up in Buffalo prepping for a broadcast. Those, those things start early, and I'm also... Um, adamant about my sleep. I mean, sleep is the number one thing uh, that is going to serve you in your longevity and the way you approach life and your energy. And so I'm not going to sacrifice on the sleep. I mean, I have the utmost respect for our boy Ben Newman who gets up at 2.30 in the morning. That's just not for me. I don't think I could do that and be the dad, husband, and person I want to be and get up that early. And so I'm trying to knock all that out in probably 30 minutes and then add on maybe a 45-minute workout afterwards if I have time to get it in at that moment. All right, so one last thought, Eric, and I've got a lot of thoughts, but one last thought for purposes of this particular conversation. You've done a series of episodes on separation season. I love that concept. Exactly what is that all about? Yeah, so separation season speaks to me, and and I originally heard our friend Ed Milet talk about this, but it's something that served me throughout my life. So separation season is that time between 
Thanksgiving and New Year's Day where everyone kind of shuts down. And I never even understood that. When people talked about putting on 10 to 15 pounds through the holidays, that never made any sense to me because I played college football and NFL football for almost 15 years. So I never quite understood what that was about until my first year uh, out of the league. And I realized that every day is a Thanksgiving party. It's a holiday party for work. It's a basketball game. It's a football game. It's a bowl game. It's an NFL game. There's a reason to eat and drink bad every single day. So during separation season, I did a series of five podcasts that you could go back and listen to now because it would serve you at this time as well about how you could just take that time. And I say separation season, and, and that may be separating from your peers, whether at work or the people you're competing against in your sport, but it's also about separating from yourself. If you could start the new year off and not be 10 to 15 pounds heavier, not have sacrificed your schedule, your work schedule, all that momentum that you built in your career, then you could really make a push in life. And so now this Friday, we're going to start a five-week series releasing on Friday. It's called Playoff Push, where I'll – you know, give some playoff thoughts, but I, I am an NFL employee, so i got to be careful about picking spreads or anything like that. But I can talk about the playoffs, and then I'm going to give a football situation and apply it back to life. For instance, the first one will be on backed up. So you get the ball on your own one-yard line. The first thing you do is not throw a bomb. You're backed into your corner. The goal is to get a first down so that your punter is not punting from the end zone. Okay, you get backed up in a corner in life. What are the first things you need to do to get off the goal line so that you can get some momentum to go score some points? It's probably not the time to throw out a bomb in life and try and, you know, make this big splash. It's little baby steps that get you down the field, and then you can go take your shots. You see, I love it. He is a performance coach. He is host of What's Next with Eric Wood. It is a tremendous podcast. I know because I've been on it and I listen to it. Also a nine-year NFL vet, a pro bowler, a Buffalo Bills radio color commentator, and has made the transition beautifully off of the field from on the field. Eric, appreciate you and the friendship, brother. Great job. Really nice to have you on. Have a great weekend, and I'll be watching this weekend. Can't wait for that game. Uh, likewise, brother, you've been so great to me over the years and truly appreciate the fre- uh, friendship and opportunity to come on today, brother. Good night now!